Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and Metatopia 2018. Episode 220, A Stagegate Approach to Game Development, presented by Randy Lubin. Thank you all so much for showing up. I just, I deeply appreciate you taking the time and energy on this like late Saturday night, and uh, I hope you enjoy this talk, uh, a stagegate approach to game development. Uh, and my name is uh, is Randy Lubin. I'm a full-time game designer, but I got my background in startups. So uh, I'm from the Bay Area, and uh, have been working with early stage tech companies since about 2009. Uh, but there's a few different components to my life that all sort of are starting to merge. So I've been designing consumer storytelling games uh, since about 2014, uh, starting with uh, card-based narrative games, uh, then getting into RPGs, and more recently LARP. Uh, but that's started to intersect with my startup life because uh, I've been designing games for organizations to help them think about the future and how technology will affect their industry. Uh, and, and also games for nonprofits and foundations and key decision makers to, to help them explain really complex issues. Uh, and I'll, I'll mention a few of those as we go on. But the methods I'm going to talk about today are methods I've used um, that have been extremely helpful to me in terms of generating more and better options uh, and, and moving ahead with confidence. So the quick overview of how this talk will go, uh, I'm going to talk about stage gate design, uh, why there's a need for such a thing, what, what the benefits are, um, what the, the specifics of stage gate design are, and I'll give you examples all along the way of the different stages of stage gate design and, and how I engage with it and shape it for game design in particular. Uh, I'll, I then have a, a sort of hodgepodge of different complementary tools and frameworks uh, that I'll go over and hopefully some of these will be helpful to you all. Um, and then just an open mic, so if you have uh, either questions for me or your own really great uh, design process, um, techniques, tips, hacks that you want to share, please. Uh, so stage gate design. Uh, well, why why stage gate design, and to some extent, what's the alternative? For me, I've always coming out of like the Bay Area and the tech scene had a, a big affinity for rapid prototyping and iterating a ton and just getting the the smallest thing out there that might work, and then testing that and continuing to test and test. And um, and when I found out about stage gate design, it had that at its core, and then a bunch of other great. Um, things that helped because when you're just iterating, there's a tendency that you're you're not going to move too far from that initial um, idea. But if you're trying many ideas at once, then you're much more likely to find an amazing final solution than what you would have had if you had just kept working on that one initial idea. Some of the other reasons that StageGate is great are the problems that it tries to to solve, or that writer's block in general can be really hard. Uh, the first ideas you come up with are not always the best. 
Um, there's a sunk cost fallacy that everyone is very much prone to. And um, if, you've, if you're just working on one game and you're continuing to iterate, and even if it's probably, probably needs some massive changes, but not minor refinements to make it amazing, uh, you've put so much time into this um, specific instance of the game that it can be really hard to throw a bunch of that out and move away. So StageGate will help with that. And then I love the phrase that good options lead to good outcomes, and so StageGate is about generating lots of options um, so that you're going to end up with a bunch of good ones and be able to make really good decisions. Um, and then finally, uh, collaboration is tough, and that's especially true when you're dealing with a lot of people from uh, diverse design backgrounds. And so I found that these techniques are going to be really helpful for helping people understand the decision space. This is the breadth of options available, and then you can have a really meaningful conversation around trade-offs. So this is... Um, to explain what StageGate is, uh, so first off, to give credit, I first heard about it from Daniel Cook, uh, who is a game designer and blogs at Lost Garden. Um, and the high-level overview is that you generate a ton of ideas at just the pitch level. Um, and then you continually iterate and make them uh, more and more refined, more detailed, higher fidelity. And you do that over a series of stages. Uh, and between each stage is a gate. And through that gate, only ideas of a certain quality pass. And after each stage, the, the quality threshold for a given gate gets higher and higher. So that as you move through these stages, uh, you're probably putting more effort in on each stage. The quality goes up at each stage, and fewer and fewer ideas make it through. Um, one of the things I love about this illustration in particular of stage gates is the idea of a concept bank. So even though something might not pass through a gate at any given stage, you can always throw it back into this big bucket of ideas you had, of, of games you've maybe just done one playtest of, and you can always bring it back later or remix it in some way. So this is a high level what a stage gate can be. Uh, Daniel Cook designs video games, um, and uh, on his blog when he goes into stage gates, he, he talks about it in terms of if you're a big company making like serious investments in different game pro projects, here's how you can divide up teams or spend part of your week working on a lot of different candidates. But I've taken this model, and I really think about it from if you were an individual or a small team of game designers, especially in this scene where you're, you're maybe doing it nights and weekends as a fun thing, or maybe you're doing it for a game jam, um, you can still do it just on your own and iterate quickly and still take advantage of a lot of, these, a lot of the benefits of a stage gate process. So my particular take on it, um, I start with the first stage being just a, a wild brainstorm, trying to get as many ideas out there. They don't even have to be full game pitches, just like interesting things that, that tie to what you think you want to be making. And the, the first gate of what of those you move on are going to be goals and vision um, for what you want this particular game to be. I'll get into more details in all these categories in a minute. Uh, the second stage, the things that actually align with goals and vision for whatever this project is or opportunity, is sentence pitches. So just boiling those, taking those wild brainstorms and uh, condensing them into just simple one-sentence pitches that give a sense of an actual playable game. Uh, to the, the next gate past that is a little bit based on your instinct and what you're excited to play and what you think is going to be a good fit for your goals. Um, and also to get some breath, to make sure you're, you're taking a few very different candidates forward because uh, as you go through this process, you're going to want very different options to choose from, so you don't feel pinned or trapped into a corner. Uh, everything that makes it past that gate, and what I do is a, a bullet overview, and I'll get I'll give some concrete examples in a second. But what I'll do is, um, depending on the project, come up with a few specific um, uh, criteria for bullet points to share. Um, so this could be not just like a high level pitch, but also number of players, amount of time, maybe some of the most important mechanics in the game. And uh, I use the same format for every game that makes it past this stage. And it allows me to really compare 
uh, the trade-offs between different games in a very legible way because they all have the same format. This is especially helpful when working with collaborators too because we have sort of a, an equal fidelity pitch that we're talking about things with where without that sometimes the danger is that there's one idea you're really excited about, you've like been pitching really in-depth, and then there's some other ideas that might have potential, but it's really hard to compare like a more baked idea to like a less baked pitch, and this idea is to create equal footing. Uh, things And the way that you get past these bullet over, overview, the next gate, is uh, just prioritization. And the idea is to pick just a couple at any given time to be doing uh, playtests on or building out full rules of. Um, and so I'll, I'll share some prioritization t uh, tips when we get there. Uh, the next up is a, a rules sketch. Um, this is the goal is to get enough rules down, probably in bullet point form, though, though more detailed if that's what you need to be confident as someone running a playtest, uh, and um, just to get something playtestable, and uh, and then just start learning because there's always so much you learn from the first time you actually get in front of other players and start playing around, even if it's not the entire rule set even if there's a lot of just question marks and to-dos and fill this in, just getting something out there is so helpful. And then as things come out of the playtesting and playstorming, and usually this is a, a multi-steps multi of, of playtesting and playstorming, but sometimes just one is enough to know, do I want to move on? Then you can start moving on to polished rules, and, and the, the funnel can keep going from there, from polished rules to a polished uh, shareable design doc so folks can do blind playtests to something that has a, a high-fidelity visual design and might be sold or kickstarted. But uh, for the sake of, of today's talk, I'm, I'm ending the, uh, the stage gates at, at polished rules, because I think at that point you'll know if you have something special that you want to take forward. So we're going to go stage by stage now and gate by gate, and I'll provide some specific examples, and also some tips. So the first stage, uh, wild brainstorm. Uh, I, there's a picture of post-it notes up here, but you should really use whatever brainstorm process you really love. Um, so, so for some people that's quickly jotting things down in post-it notes, for others uh, it's a spreadsheet or just a, a Google Doc or pen and paper. Um, I'd like to take a bunch of different approaches, uh, especially when I'm talking to a new designer who might be looking at a game jam and struggling where to start. Uh, I talk about the following. I say, okay, you can start with mechanics, which is, you know, there's this really cool thing I want to try out that creates this either mathematical advantage, uh, dynamic or set of incentives to get players to behave in a certain way. Um, so you can start with mechanics, you can jot those down. You can start with themes. Sometimes um, game jams have specific ingredients or suggestions, um, and that's really evocative of like, oh, here, here are the deeply embedded themes, or maybe the genres I want to try and emulate in games. And so starting with there. Um, sometimes it's about narrative, about the arc that you want to tell, and sometimes that's uh, you can tie that to a specific media property. I really want to tell a story like my, you know, my favorite movie, my favorite book. Um, sometimes it's about emotions. Like I, I really want to tell a game that gets people to really think about nostalgia, and then you can you know, think about it, take it, start moving from there. Um, about okay, what what complements that? Uh, sometimes it's about ingredients. If you're doing a game jam with specific ingredients involved, and then um, this overlaps with some of the other options. But remixes and hacks sometimes in a, a flavor of oh, it's like X for Y, and uh, very frequent to see these types of pitches. And it could be. Um, X type of game but with a different theme or for a different type of audience or lighter or heavier or more in character, less in character, depending on the type of game design that you're doing. So this is an example um, on the screen just of like a, a quick brain dump into a Google Doc for me and there's really a mixture. This is for, um, oh, so this is, this is an example I'll be using throughout uh, and is for a game called Machine Learning President. Uh, it is about exploring the intersection of tech and politics. It's played in person with about 40 players. Um, we've, I've run it once in San Francisco, once in Chicago with uh, politicians and political consultants, technologists, 
uh, and, and other game designers, of course. And so here we were talking about uh, the different aspects of tech and politics that we want to cover. And a bunch of us entered a bunch of ideas into this Google Doc. And this is really to get a breath of what excites us um, and what might players do during the game. Are they going to be wheeling and dealing? Are they going to be uh, doing calculations about possible voter turnout? And so we got all the ideas down that we could. And the gate here is goals and vision. So for us, and for this specific example, um, we, we early on had design constraints, at least for the first version, that we wanted it to be playable in two to three hours, 10 to 50 players, very little technical work, so we didn't want to develop a whole back-end application. Um, and the audience was primarily the tech community um, for the first version, but we knew we wanted it to be able to extend to uh, the political community afterwards. Uh, and also we wanted it to play, take place in our world with our context, because we briefly said, oh, you know, might this take place in the fantasy world? Uh, might we... Take, might want to take place with fake politicians and said, no, we're going to really ground this in reality because um, we really want people grappling with the political realities. So the next stage uh, is uh, sentence pitches. So as once you do a quick filter for which of, of the many ideas that you, you have floating around, um, which of them are starting to align with your goals and your vision, which of them might you want to cut because they're just... Um, not plausible or not high enough priority given given your goals. Um, it's good to take a lot of these very disparate ideas that aren't even fully baked game game ideas and turn them into sentence pitches. At this at this stage, you should be able to give the pitch to someone who's at least roughly familiar with what you're trying to do, and they go they can start picturing um, a little bit of like what that might be. Um, now, I guess I don't have the example of the sentence pitches up, but it's totally what it sounds like. Pardon me for one sec. I, I think I lost a slide. I lost a slide. That's okay. Um, so the sentence pitches, um, the, the, the big gate after that one, and usually the, there's a pretty smooth flow from brainstorm to sentence pitches, and some of your brainstorm bullets might even be close to sentence pitches. Um, but from here, it's, it's about um, instinct and breath, as I had mentioned earlier. So it's which of, the, which of these seem either most fun or most effective for your goals. Uh, and then let's make sure we have a bit of diversity so we're not just trapped in one, one tiny little part of the possible design space. So the ones that make it past that filter, uh, we get to the bullet overview phase. I find this, this to be where you start making really interesting decisions and also getting to really, if you're doing this as a collaborative project, really understanding your co-designers and what gets them excited. So up here is a uh, sample format. And again, I changed this a little bit from project to project based on what matters to us. Uh, but I have a, I, first up is the title. And usually this is a pithy placeholder title just so you can refer to something in shorthand. Uh, then there's the pitch itself, which is probably could just be the sentence pitch from before, or maybe you want to elaborate on it a little bit. Um, in, in this case, we, we wanted player factions because we really want to think about in the political game, OK, is this? Uh, a bunch of different politicians who are all campaigning at the same time? Is it the folks who are trying to influence them? Maybe it's people who are running entire parties. Um, and so we wanted to make it really clear who the players were. Then we talked about the mechanics uh, and the key systems that folks will be engaging in. That uh, I think helps to also be evocative. Um, and then the artifacts that might come out of it. So this is actually, so this is the bullet format, not for the game I was just talking about, but for uh, a collaboration I'm doing uh, with an artist that will be um, in a fine art museum, um, but we're creating games that will generate artifacts and will also be playable in the museum. But the artifacts were important, so that got their own line in the pitch. Um, so this might be, you know, what's going to be in the actual exhibition. So this might be pictures of play in action or things that are generated during play that we later uh, turn into the artwork. 
so some examples here for for this museum um, pitch. Uh, yeah, we have we have our little titles: uh, Bubble Bubble Land, Deep Fake Depth Charges, Billionaire Brinkmanship, uh, and all of these have all of those same bullets filled out. So that later on, as we're collaboratively working on different pitches, and at this stage we're probably asynchronously, just on our own time, coming up with different pitches and putting it up there. And everyone has the templates, so they know exactly what to put in. But it allows us to really easily skim and compare. Uh, a couple tips here. So uh, forking and remixing is incredibly powerful. So saying, I love your idea. I want to see what happens when I take it in another direction. So I'm just going to copy and paste it and change little bits and pieces. Uh, totally fair. Likewise, say, I love your idea and you over there, your idea too. I'm going to try creating something that's a combination of the two. Totally fair. This is a good time to, to keep exploring, keep adding ideas on. Um, and this is really something that's great to do throughout the process, uh, that you can always keep borrowing ideas from your different things that are in motion. And it's one of the real strengths of StageGate, too, is that um, you're going to keep learning along the way, and those learnings can translate across all of the different game ideas that you have in development. The gate here is very much prioritization, because you're probably going to end up with hopefully more great pitches than you can plausibly play test at, any, at once. And there are many ways you can go about, go about prioritizing. Um, if you have a big team, what I recommend doing is figuring out what is the major criteria that you want to prioritize on um, and come up with a little bit of scoring for it. So uh, I, in this case, I created a quick Google Sheet. Um, I have the pitch names in one column. I have how good is it going to be to play at an event before the exhibition in one another. Then, you know, how good is it going to be to play at the museum? And how high quality or interesting are the visual artifacts that are going to come out of the play um, or be, you know, pictures taken at the event that will be incorporated into the exhibit? And then we just rate it on a scale of one to five, kind of reach consensus there. And then just by looking, we can kind of jump out and say, oh, wow, we have a, a few that are rated really highly across the board, some that are more mixed. Let's pick the two or three ideas that are most exciting to us, and we'll take those forward. So the next stage uh, is a rules sketch. Uh, and um, so uh, a rule sketch being something that you can probably play test off of. And a lot of this depends on your comfort um, uh, as, a, as a play test runner of like just how much you need in front of you to be able to run it. And that's going to vary wildly depending on if you're doing a very freeform LARP or a very rules intense or mechanical board game or a crunchier RPG. But one of the heuristics here is you want to have as little information as you need to to be able to run the game and, and kind of know what it's going to look like. Maybe not even from beginning to end, but from like the most interesting part that you want to test out. So in this case, it's uh, too small to actually read, but I have about a page of rules here. This is from a uh, Game Chef competition, not this year, but the year before. And so I, I was able to distill all the rules down to just one page uh, with enough evocative bits for me to sort of wing it and, and make it up as I went along. Um, and that was enough to just do one quick playtest and try and figure out, is there something interesting enough here to continue on? Because there are some games that look really great at the pitch stage and kind of feel good at the rules stage, but in play totally fall flat. And the reverse can be true too. So just that's another, you know, the the, the pleasure of quickly getting to playtest is that you get to find that out and you get to see where the interesting bits are. And it could be that while most of the game was just okay, there was one bit that was amazing, and that gives you inspiration to to go back to the bullet stage and go, okay, I want another game just completely around that one core bit of amazingness. Some tips here: hack and referee. Um, and so uh, by hacking, I mean like just take an entire subsystem or system from another game that is kind of close enough that allows you to test the bit that you really want. Uh, one way I often think about this is you um, you want to be uh, stealing as much as possible that isn't your core new bit of, of creativity. And if, you're, if the thing you're really excited about is theme, 
it's totally okay to start by just re-theming, re-skinning an existing game. Um, the second bit of this tip is referee. So you can totally leave space where the rules are, are vague. You don't need all edge cases taken care of. And, um, and as long as you're there to just make snap judgments or sometimes even turn to the players and go, and go, what is the most interesting way for the rules to resolve here? Or what will create the most interesting dynamics or story? And really um, you know, co-create with your, your players in a playtest. Um, another tip here is just operating at the lowest fidelity possible. So if that to you is just pencils and, and uh, paper and sketching things out, that's great. If it's index cards, awesome. Uh, index cards and post-it notes are probably my favorite way to, to do playtests. And likewise, like don't even start jumping toward like high fidelity visual design. Like just use Google Docs or your other favorite editor, but, but you don't want to be spending time on anything that is um, well formatted or really even anything that has complete sentences. This needs to be usable to you as the designer and no one else. And your goal is to just be moving sort of as fast as possible to get something play testable. Oh, another tip is possibly testing subsystems separately. So this isn't always possible if you have a complex game where different parts really deeply talk to each other. But ideally, you can break out a little bit of the game that you have some uncertainty around or want to see if it has this bit of magic and just test that. Um, I mean, here at Medtopia people, it's common for folks to come with pre-generated character sheets because they don't want to test character creation, um, even though that'll be part of the final game. That's a great example. Uh, other examples can be, oh, just wanting to test you know, combat if you have a very combat-y game. Uh, something that I've done uh, in a bunch of tests is, uh, so for in the political uh, game I was talking about, we ended up landing on an idea that was, uh, it was called Machine Learning President, and it was about the 2020 presidential election. So set in a little bit in the future so we can explore the implications of technology on politics, but close enough to the present that it's not going to look too alien. And so for our playtests, we did a playtest of the Democratic primary and of the Republican primary as two separate days. And based off of that, we felt confident, confident enough to run our first event with the primaries together and then general election thereafter. And for us, like the, we would know that if it was fun for the primary and be able to take a little bit of feedback in, it would be fun for the general too. My gate here is really about playstorming and playtesting, though it's possible that some of your ideas, as you try and actually get that rule sketch out, you just know it's not going to work, or, or the, the design problems are too big, or you know it's just not accomplishing what you want. That's okay too. Don't feel obligated to playtest everything you sketch out. But I really love the playstorming process, and then of course, regular playtesting. And I'll, I'll explain playstorming in case you haven't heard of it. So playstorming is if playtesting you have the rules really written out and you're trying to work through them um, with players for possibly the first time, playstorming doesn't imply you have a full set of rules and implies that you might be changing things a ton on the fly, often with input from your players. So sometimes that means I'll come in with an idea for a mechanic and a broad story pitch and we'll, we'll keep checking in maybe every five minutes or ten minutes saying, is this fun? Do we want to change things up? Uh, sometimes it's just taking a bunch of material to the table and being like, I think you know, these components haven't been used in the game before, but we can do something fun with them, and we'll collaboratively just start moving them around and playing with them. So this can even be used to generate some of the bolded ideas earlier, um, but it's also effective sort of throughout. As long as you set people's expectations, like this is something that's going to constantly change, um, let's keep trying to find the fun and explore the, the boundaries of that fun. Uh, so things that make it past uh, playstorming and playtesting, uh, the ones that seem like there's a glimmer of like, oh, there's something really cool here, something really fun here, then you can take it on to the to start working on polished rules, maybe something that you can hand off to someone who uh, who wasn't there for the design process and can run it without you. Uh, you probably have some big questions coming out of it, so even if good chunks of the game worked well, 
there might be others that are still big question marks. Uh, I just had a playtest earlier today for a playtest earlier today for one of my games that uh, doesn't have an ending yet. I have no idea how it's going to end, but that's okay because I wanted to make sure the early the beginning of the game worked. And I got enough information on that that I can go now and uh, tweak the beginning a little bit and now really figure out the ending. So that's the the last major stage. Um, for the sake of this talk, but of course there, there are many other stages and it could be that you polish the rules on multiple games and choose one to take to Kickstarter. Uh, and then you can also have stages that involve at that point uh, doing some market sizing or getting um, feedback from blind playtesters with, uh, with them also saying like, how much would you pay for this? That, those types of things. But I want to keep this talk focused more on the, the game design portion than the, the taking the game to market. Uh, that's it for high level on the stage gate side. Uh, I'm going to, to now move on to complementary tools and frameworks, but first I want to see were there any quick questions or clarifications about stage gates? Okay, so this will be a pretty quick section then. Um, just talking about some other tools or frameworks that pair really well with stage gate. So first is having an ideas Kanban. Uh, Kanban or Kanban, for those of you who are not familiar with it, uh, comes from um, the Japanese lean manufacturing movement, and the idea is that you have uh, a bunch of different columns um, under uh, across that map to your uh, development process or your manufacturing process or whatever you're working on, uh, where each column is a different stage. So this maps out well to our stage gate. And the idea is that you then have any given um, product or in our case different games on each on an index card, and you're moving these across the different columns as you move them from stage to stage. Uh, so Trello is a really wonderful uh, free online app that effectively can function as a Kanban. Airtable is another great one that works well that I recommend. Uh, but here, the beauty of it is uh, after you do your brainstorm and as you move from stage to stage, you just throw every idea up here. And I find this great for a bunch of reasons. One, I never feel like I'm just going to like leave a good idea behind that I'm never going to revisit because they all live here. And I, um, I also... Uh, I love it because uh, when I have a new game jam, new, new competition that I'm going to compete in, or I'm just, I have some free bandwidth and want to design a new game, I can return to this um, Kanban and see, okay, what are some of the rough pitches I really liked that I can, I can do again? So this one corresponds only loosely to the stage gate process because uh, this, this goes, well, this is very broad beyond just one type of game, but I have my like, vague notions that's kind of like the brainstorm phase where it might not, there might not be a game in there, but there's something I want to revisit. There are rough pitches that feel sort of like the sentence pitch stage. Um, outlined rules, uh, early drafts, later drafts as columns, and this eventually goes all the way out to, to published. Uh, so uh, another framework, another set of questions I really like asking, um, both myself and other designers, is uh, two, two paired questions. What does your game want to be, and what do you want your game to be? And to, to help explain this, uh, I'm going to use the term uh, local local maxima and global maxima. And so this comes from math and from engineering too. And the idea is that uh, if you're looking at the overall space of, um, of all the possible games you can design, um, picture, picture a mountain range. And, uh, and there are different mountains of lots of different heights. And uh, the taller the mountain, the better the particular game is that you've made. The problem is you actually don't have a topographical map of this region. You don't know which mountain's the highest, and visibility is really bad. You can only see maybe a few feet in front of you at any given time. So the way this metaphor maps to, to game development is that the, the initial pitches and the initial games you test might be scattered throughout this mountain range. Some, if you're lucky, might be close to a tall peak. Others might be somewhere in a valley. But no matter where you put them, you'll get a quick sense of how high is it 
to in total like what's the, the total elevation of this idea how great is it uh, but also even though visibility is pretty poor you can see in if I go a little bit in one direction or another is it going to get way better or is this the best that this particular idea can be and so the term local maxima is saying this is the highest point uh, from where I'm standing that I can see, even though I can't see far. So there's no small changes I could do that can improve it. And global maxima means this is the highest peak in the entire range. And so going back to what does your game want to be and what do you want your game to be, I think of what does your game want to be as what is the local maxima? So given where this game started, if I keep tweaking it very incrementally, making small changes here, small changes there, where does that lead me? And sometimes that's looking at my components and saying, oh, this is a game that just the, the little bits and pieces evoke joy in people, so this is probably going to be a very happy game. Um, and so let me keep moving in the direction of making this a joyful, happy game versus maybe a more emotional or dark game. Um, and so, so I think being really attentive to what direction your game is driving is important, especially because it might end up conflicting with what do I want my game to be. Um, especially because that drift, that like slowly making it better, might take you in a direction that ends up violating some of your goals or values for this project, or your vision for this project, or it might not just be fun for you. So continue to check in and say, is this game? What does this game want to be, and do I want that? Is great because that means that you're not going to spend time either trying to drag a game in a direction that just isn't a natural fit, um, or spending a bunch of time perfecting it only to realize that you don't even want to play that game. Another tip I love um, and, and works fairly well with StageGate is designing in public. Uh, for me, that means tweeting about my ideas, but also getting pretty raw, rough designs um, up on my website. And I really like this for a few reasons. I get uh, immediate feedback from some friends about like, oh, that sounds really good and I would play that, or oh, have you considered taking that idea and twisting it in some way? And I. Uh, and, and also, it means that games that only make it so far, maybe they only make it to sort of a, a rough, rough rules place that somebody else could run it with, but it's, you know, it's not beautifully designed, there's no gorgeous layout, it's just Google Docs. Um, and that could still be a really good game, but because of my priorities at the time, I'm just not taking it forward. It's still out there. Other people can still play it. Uh, other people can see what I value as a game designer and how I think, and hopefully learn something themselves. So I have a, a section at the bottom of my site that's just game drafts, and uh, most of it is, again, like a relatively unformatted Google Doc, and I really love that. And it also feels like I haven't wasted a bunch of time on something that is fun, but like it's just take, I haven't worked on it now in a year, and it's not going anywhere. And I'm like, you know what? If it never goes anywhere else, it is in a, in a publicly findable way, and I'm, I enjoyed playtesting it, and hopefully others will enjoy it too. Uh, so that, that's it for my sort of complimentary trick, uh, tips and, uh, and tools and frameworks. Uh, my contact is up there. Again, my, my name is Randy Lubin. I'm on Twitter as at uh, Randy Lubin. My consumer games studio is diegeticgames.com, uh, D-I-E-G-E-T-I-C. And my games for organizations is Leveraged Play. And so if you're interested in talking about games that can help your organization explore the future or explain the present, please reach out to randy at leverageplay.com, and I'd love to talk more. Uh, and with that, I think I'll open it up for any questions at all. Uh, I thought it was interesting. Uh, there's a lot of parallels to what I currently use to teach in my game design class. Um, I teach uh, using uh, Tracy Fullerton's game design workshop textbook. Um, she likes to come at things from a, what she calls a play-centric, or basically a uh, what will your players be experiencing in the game. So your two questions of uh, what does a game want to be and what do I want it to be, uh, she would come at it from... Uh, 
what do I want my players to experience during this game, or what do I want it to feel like as they play this game. Yeah. Uh, and I find that that's a pretty interesting way to get my students to understand what they're trying to build, because uh, they'll very often just grab a quick solution and not understand that they have to, like, it, it, they'll tell me they want to build a mystery game, and then just chucking dice, and I'm like, well, that's, they, <laughs> those two don't have any similarities at all. Um, I like uh, some of the, the, the stage stuff because uh, I think it helps lead them down a uh, more easily, I'm not sure if we're saying this, uh, they can kind of stay on the path a little easier. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's very interesting. Also, uh, our school is considering changing the way we teach. Right now we basically have them build one game for the entire semester, but in an interest to be more appealing to the industry, they want to move to having them make several games. I think the stage gate stuff might work really, really well for that. Definitely. Uh, so, uh, have you uh, helped anybody else using stage gate stuff? Yeah. Also, I mean, beyond just the different groups of collaborators I've worked with, um, I've yeah, I've helped a few designers. Uh, especially focused around um, game jams or knowing that Metatopia is coming up and helping them figure out what to bring, um, walked them through this very process, and they've they've said it's it's helpful, it's liberating that they don't they don't feel like they have their one idea, and if it suddenly doesn't feel as good as it used to, they're they're chained to it. And uh, going back, the um, the play centric approach I absolutely love, and I think is totally compatible. I think one of the ways it can shine in, in complement with this model is with the um, vision. And uh, and so if you're really about like what what do you want people to experience when they're playing this game, then you can keep going back to that. So in your example, uh, the the folks who are just chucking dice, they could probably while they're trying to say, does this move past the stage we're currently at? Well, it doesn't really evoke any of the feelings of of mystery or investigation or whatever it might be. So so let's not advance that one at the moment. Right. No, I think that's very useful. I'm gonna try to figure out how to sandwich that into the rest of my my course. <laughs> I don't think I have any other questions right now. All right, it doesn't look Proud like anyone else is raising their hands. <laughs> all right, well, thank you all for uh, for attending, and uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of your con. Well, I'm happy to stick around and talk. <laughs> um, I am glad you showed up. <laughs> um, this was super fun for me to talk. Oh, and I hope I really I hope it's I hope it's been helpful. It was. It was very interesting. Uh, it was. Uh, I felt like I had a help you by giving you some extra energy. <laughs> that was, yeah, I, mean, I would not have given the talk to an empty room, for sure, and um, you appear to be very engaged. Yep. Very helpful emotionally. <laughs> yes, that's, I, I figured I'd be nice to give extra feedback for you. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's really interesting. So uh, uh, it, it's funny, I didn't realize you were... Uh, my last three years, I've been working for a startup out of the Bay also. Oh, what's, what company? Uh, it's Code Combat. It's an online role-playing game that you learn to program while you play it. Very cool. I've seen a handful of different, like, learn to code by, like... There's a bunch now, yeah. Coding AI, and, like, I'm trying to remember, I did one that was, like, an AI tank thing. I think I saw Code Combat. I think that one's called Screeps. It, I think it probably has been rebranded, because I saw Maybe. it, like, way back. It's, like, a little JavaScript app. I think I saw yours. It looked great. And I was like a little too far in my coding progression for oh, yeah. it to make sense, it's, but like it looked amazing. It's aimed at the the primary target audience is uh, middle school students, uh, but we have some elementary, we have some high school. Uh, I even know a couple of colleges that have used it. Um, it's such a great way to to learn um, right. coding, it's like it's so so applied, so practical, uh, and you, start, you there's a feedback loop, and you know if you're doing well or not. Like right, right, yeah, because you you're getting through. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Cool. Are you you're still working with them? Yes. Awesome. Very cool. What are you doing for them? Uh, I'm uh, mainly I'm their support guy, uh, but 
we're still a small startup, so there's many hats. Uh, yeah, nobody does one thing at a startup. Right, right. I uh, manage the art pipeline. Uh, I uh, manage almost all of the QA, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's really fun. Yeah. Uh, how big's the team? Uh, we've grown recently. Uh, I think we just hired our 18th person, something like that. Uh, so we're 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 a little bit of a burst uh, in growth recently. That's awesome. I, if you're comfortable with like the ambiguity of startup life, there's yeah. nothing quite like it. Oh, like, it's really interesting. Yeah, being in the trenches with a great team and creating something new. Oh, love it. That's very cool. <sighs> Do you have much more of the con to go? Are you, are you I'm going to go to one more session at 10. Cool. And then I, I don't think I'm coming back tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. Did you get in some good tests today? I wasn't here to test it. I was, uh, I was here to basically support a couple of friends when you were around doing stuff and do a little bit of networking and, and chat. And there were uh, several really interesting talks, and amongst them was yours, uh, that I wanted to check out. So, um, you know, it was, it was definitely worth coming down 30 bucks for. Oh, it's, yes. Eight it's so, yes. Sessions is pretty amazing. <laughs> uh, so, that was nice. Cool. Well, uh, is this your first Medtopia? I. I thought it was, but then once I walked in, I was like, wait, I recognize all this. So <laughs> I, I, I think I was here a long time ago. I just didn't remember until I walked in. You also may have been to the two of the other cons that happened here with the same organizers. Um, yeah, that's very possible. Yeah, Dreamation and Dexcon, I think, is the third. Now that you said it, I think it was Dreamation. Was that nice. Right? I love Dreamation. It's just like uh, so many great games and players. And yeah, somebody just asked me to come uh, basically help them run one play set.